Greetings, this is Olive, the Feminine Princess on the Art and Science of Femininity, sharing with you the treasures, riches, and secrets of feminine creativity and knowledge for women who follow Christ. The story of Asina is a very mysterious one, and it's mysterious because very little is written about her, and these two lines or two references in the chapter of 41 of Genesis that talks about her come to us after Joseph has gone through quite a bit in his life and if you don't know the story of Joseph, I would suggest that you read it. It is very interesting and can be um, huge parallelisms between what we experience in life at times and the rewards that lie ahead for a Joseph type situation. So Genesis 41 and verse 45 and then following 50 reads as such. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapnath Paniah, and he gave unto wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. So the background of Joseph is after he's gone through a lot of unjust and unrighteous situations just for obeying his father and being a favorite of his father, he went through several situations of false accusations and unjust punishment, but God gave him an opportunity through that to interpret a dream which its interpretation and his suggestion and opinion based on that caused a land and people even that didn't live in the land to be sustained during a time of time of great famine and so because of his um, gift because he sought the Lord and the Lord blessed him of all people to have the answer of what the dream meant and what one might do in regards to the dream, Joseph was rewarded in three ways. He was given a new position, a new name, and a new wife. The new position signified that he was a national leader. The new name signified acceptance from the people in the land because his former name was Hebrew. His new name was Egyptian. And Pharaoh wanted all the people to respect, honor, and revere Joseph. So he was given a new name. And the new wife, well, she wasn't Hebrew either. She was Egyptian. So we'll get into her story in just a second. But these three things, the position, the name, and the wife, they were all Egyptian. They were all related to the Egyptian land and its rulership and so these things signify Joseph's complete assimilation into Egypt. 
Egyptian lifestyle, the Egyptian culture, even the Egyptian appearance. And even though he assimilated, he still retained his belief in Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, Adonai, the Lord at the time. So let's take a closer look at this mysterious female figure that very little was recorded about her, except that she was a daughter of a priest. So what can we deduce from that? Looking at her father, the priest, it is stated that he was a high priest, which signifies the highest level of royalty during that time. Becoming a priest was a very sacred and spiritual position. And to have that position, and not only just a regular priesthood, but a high priest, the priest of priests at this time, was a very, very respected and revered position. And so it represented royalty. And so already we see that this new wife, Asana, she comes from royalty. That Joseph, even though he was birthed and went into slavery and went into penitentiary system, if you will, he came out being completely accepted and assimilated into royalty. Her father's name was also known as the greatest of seers. And if you know anything about a seer, during these biblical times, a prophet was called a seer, someone who could see into the spiritual realm, someone who could see visions and see um, and have dreams that they would see to interpret to the people. So he wasn't just a seer, he was the greatest of seers. And by extension, Joseph marrying his daughter, by extension, Joseph becomes a symbolic seer as well. Now, it says that he was the priest of On, and On was another name for the city of the sun. And this city was a center of worship for their particular god, which was a sun god. I do not want to mention the sun god's name if you want to look it up or if you know, wonderful. But I remember somewhere in the word where the Lord charges us not to mention the names of other gods. So I will not mention that name, but I'll refer to him because he was known as the sun god. And the reason, the only reason I'm bringing him up is because when you think about it symbolically, these people worshiped. They even had a city behind a sun god, S-U-N. And in a sense, there's an association that one can make that people call Jesus, you know, the sun, uh, S-U-N, playing on the words the son of God and the sun, the actual uh, huge star, that we have light by, the huge son of God. So symbolically, it's as if he's marrying into a foreshadowing or a premonition or a prophetic lineage of the son of God. It's just, it's so strange to hear that they worshiped the son God and Jesus is referred to as the son of God. It's, it's just so much symbolism and 
uh, association there that I just, I see it as almost a secret meaning or message to those who worship the true God. But I, as Joseph's, Joseph marries her, his high social status, because remember he was elevated to a national leader, a Pharaoh told him that no one else will have any authority above him except Pharaoh himself, and that's only in uh, the kingdom because, you know, it was his. But Joseph has been given full authority, and to solidify this authority, he is given this wife that solidifies or fortifies his social status as a leader of a nation because she is a daughter of a high priest. Now the name Asena itself, it means gift of the Son God. And I find that again interesting because in a sense, when you go into that play of words, that symbolism, that association, in a sense, God was allowing this marriage, saying, this is a gift of my son to you. Um, this is something I already ordained. This is my gift to you to assimilate it at this time. And by marrying her, which is one of the highest symbols, that you can have to represent your power. Um, I give you this gift from me. That's how I interpret it. So looking a little bit closer at her, what do we know from royalty? What do we know from a high priest and what he would uh, train his daughter up in? We know that she was well-educated because people in royalty were given privileges that the common person was not. So we know that she was well-educated, she was literate. We know that she comes from a high-class life of decorum, meaning she was taught how to speak and how to act and how to walk and what to say and how to move her body. High-level, high-class of decorum of life. We know that she was fully Egyptian. I mean, she was given the name, gift of a son, God, whom they all worshipped at the time. So she was completely Egyptian. I wrote a book a while ago called Olive or Olivia. And in that book, I talk about how names are very prophetic. What your name is, it speaks to not only who you are, but who are to become. And so her being given this name, gift of a sun god, and being of age that she was given to another man whom I believe Joseph was around 33 at the time, was given to another man in marriage. We know that she has fully grown into who she was supposed to become and that name had influence. That name had great influence over her becoming. The last thing we know about her is that she was very accepting of an unexpected arranged marriage. She did not rebel. She did not run off with another lover. She did not disobey or treat Joseph um, 
with any disdain as far as we know I believe the scriptures would have mentioned that but in fact I believe that she loved him as well as Joseph loved her so much that they had two children <laughs> so her acceptance of this surprise engagement speaks a lot about her character it says that not only she trusts the system that she was born into the protocol that was given to her but she also had honor and respect for pharaoh because pharaoh was the one who gave her the priest's daughter to joseph it wasn't the priest's daughter I, i'm sorry it wasn't the priest who decided himself you know what i think my daughter should marry joseph or you know what i think i'm gonna give her to joseph in marriage no it wasn't it was pharaoh himself that decided this is the woman you should marry so i see there that she has been taught from her father very well that if pharaoh says something even above me as your father you obey and listen to what can we glean from this as her beautiful artistry i see her as very graceful i mean the way she handles twists and turns in her life the way she has grown into this beautiful royal figure the way she has acclimated into her own culture says a lot about her going with the flow going with the tides that have been waved upon her and i think as feminine women we can learn to also go with the flow to trust the kingdom of god and his ordering of our steps into every situation and experience and event that comes into our lives i really admire her and in studying her i found a new respect and um model in her because i never considered her before now another thing we know about her is she really honored the position of a man i mean that's clear with her father and then with pharaoh but it carried over to her marriage even with joseph because she did not name the children joseph did and he named them from his experience and his perspective all she did was accept his name his label his prophetic declarance of their children together and we can see this also modeled in Hebraic culture throughout uh, New and Old Testament. Even though uh, Jacob is an exception because Leah and Rachel were both in sort of a competitious rivalry that they named their own children. <laughs> but we can see how in the New Testament an angel gives both Zacharias and Joseph the name of their children John and Jesus respectively so what I got from that was that the Lord God gives us names by angelic interception for our children and it's up to us to accept them and i believe it's not just oh 
I am the Lord and I want to name your child. No, like I said before, names are prophetic announcements over who you are to become. So when God, we allow God to name our children, we're allowing God to proclaim the prophecy over our children. We're allowing him to have complete authority over their destiny and purpose. So for him to name the two children that Asenath bore him, it's like he's carrying the tradition from the father himself. I think that's so beautiful. And in doing so, we, we see that she has given him complete authority, at least in this area. And I think that speaks to her also accepting his Hebraic culture. She was such an adaptive and flexible person that she was able to uh, weave in and out of her own culture as well as his. I just admire her for that. So Hebraically, we can look at this and we can see what is the message that the Lord is trying to tell us as women? What is he saying? Especially looking at the life of Joseph. Well, I think he's saying because God sees the end from the beginning, because God knows what is to come and what is going to happen next, that he takes us into different places with different people and cultures and tells us, assimilate for your own good, for your own protection, for your own prosperity, which I have coming up for you. Stay there and assimilate. Of course, don't forget about me. Your worship and your praise belong to me. But assimilate as much as you can short of that. Have a purpose with that. And we can see that in the different lives here. Not just Joseph, but Esther. She assimilated fully into the culture of the man she married. This great king of Persia. She assimilated greatly into Persian culture. But of course, just like Joseph, she kept her worship and praise to the true God that was revealed to her since birth. We could also see it with Daniel. Daniel also assimilated into Babylonian culture, but he kept all the ordinances that would yield itself to a worship and a praise to God, but he too assimilated. All these people are assimilating tells me that sometimes God wants us to assimilate in the culture around us in order for a greater purpose to be done. And so in doing this, of course, we stay true to our allegiance and all of our pledges to the Lord, but we assimilate as far as we can for our own good, for our own benefit, for our own blessing. And the last thing I want to bring out about Asenath and this whole story of hers, scientifically, I spoke to two doctors, one directly and one indirectly, as well as an expert on Egyptian culture. And I want to bring out that Egyptian culture of worshiping another god. We can see how exactly that's done when we look at the story where Moses went on the mountain for 40 days and nights to get the uh, two tablets filled with the commandments of God. Um, he came down and the people had erected, actually it was Aaron with the people, erected this golden calf. They threw 
all their jewelry in the fire and Aaron said he he said the people brought it I threw it into the fire and this calf came out which is amazing another story in and of itself how did this calf create itself so be careful playing with anything uh, ungodly or demonic something may be birthed from it that you can't control I don't know why I said that I guess that's for someone. Right. Going back to the how the people reacted when this calf, this golden calf came out, they feasted, they danced, they fell down before, they worshiped it, they brought it um, uh, fruits. So we see in this worshiping of an idol how the Egyptians most likely um, served their God or gods. I wanted to bring that up because I don't think it was as born for a synod to assimilate into a little bit of Hebraic culture because she was already familiar of how to serve her own God. So seeing Joseph serve his uh, probably was not foreign to her and was easy for her to accept and acclimate. Now, speaking of the scientific side, I spoke to, as I mentioned before, two doctors. One of the doctors, Dr. Newberg, he did a study of CAT scans on the brain and showed um, differentiation between religious activity and non-religious activity, meaning when one is engaged in a religious act as opposed to when that same person is not engaged in it. And so he focused on three different things and different religions, different cultures. He studied this. One was meditation. And I found it interesting when a person meditates, which would not be foreign for Joseph to do. And probably since he was married to a synod, for her to walk in and see him doing this would not be foreign to her. But we know that meditation was common because we have the story where Isaac was meditating in the field. So he got that from his father and meditation just carried down through the Hebraic culture. And all meditation is thinking over and over and over on something that was probably illuminated by the Lord. And so he studied one who was in complete meditation compared to when the same person was not meditating. And when they were meditating, you could see the CAT scan showed the front and the right side of the brain being activated. And these areas were less activated when the person wasn't meditating. Then he went on to study prayer. He did a comparison between when someone is praying and, and that same person is not praying. And he saw that when that person is praying, the CAT scan showed the rear part of the brain as well as the left and right sides having enormous activity in the brain. And then when they came out of prayer, it ceased. And then the last area that he studied was worship. And the areas of worship that he studied was people either dancing for the Lord or speaking in tongues. And so he saw the differences on the CAT scan and it showed when one is engaged in complete worship that the middle portion of their brain is highly activated while, while the front part is less activated. And so this proved that when one is engaged in a spiritual activity, whether they're serving 
the most high God or a lesser God, that different parts of the brain is activated. And so Asenath probably was familiar with this with her own level and relationship of worship. And when she saw Joseph do it, it wasn't strange to her. And she probably um, may have joined in with him thinking she was familiar with this. This is like such gold research to me because it shows when one is engaged in worshiping or meditating or praying to the Lord that parts of our brain shut down to open up portals of spiritual enlightenment and understanding and revelation from the Lord. He actually shuts down chemically and scientifically uh, the portion of our brain that might see things in the natural and think them through rationally or logically and um, coming up to certain deductions based on that. But it takes us to another realm where we can actually access spiritual insights to get answers for certain things we're experiencing in life, to get wisdom in how to apply these things in life. I just thought that was beautiful. And the other doctor I actually spoke to verbally, his name is Dr. Bannon, and he was explaining to me how our brain is not the mind. Our brain actually connects our soul to the earth because without the brain, you would, you know, your mind, your soul, the emotions, all those would float in the air uh, back to the Lord because it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he was explaining to me that the brain is actually part of the body and it's not the same as the mind and that the soul uses the brain actually to express itself in the earth. You know the five senses we have? It's connected to the brain and that brain uses those five senses to express our soul to the earth. So when you see all of this reaction in the front, middle, and back of our brains, that is our soul. Soul using our brain to experience a connection to the things around us. I really hope that this blessed you, that you can receive some portion of it to help you in your walk your feminine walk with Christ, and let's pray now. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this Lord, thank you so much for giving us this story from, maybe, shh. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the story of Asana and telling us a little bit more about her and how we can apply these lessons of such great grace, assimilation, and worship into our lives. And I ask that you show us how to walk this out real time for our own lives and, and bless our lives behind this information. Let us remember and be mindful of it, as well as if there's anybody there who wants to get closer to Christ, wants to use these things to draw themselves close to the Lord, I pray that the Lord draw you close to him, that he shows you a sign today of his great love that he has for you, and that you reach out to him in worship, in meditation, in prayer, and show him that you're interested in who he is, 
and let him reveal himself to you through his word and through others, the lips of others that he has sent. These things and blessings I pray upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's program was sponsored by Olive Swan. You can visit her at oliveswan.pink, browse her store, Pink Peach and Cream, and request a consultation or workshop in your local area. Subscribe to her blog at thefeminineprincess.com, watch her YouTube videos, and find the podcast notes at theartandscienceoffemininity.com.